0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, Life as Gift, Not Gain. So hear the word of the Lord. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, and the heart of the fools is in a house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. For, like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Do not let your spirit rush to be angry for anger abides in the heart of fools. Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come After him. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, once again, as we declare each time we gather together, we give thanks for your faithfulness to us, Lord. We're overwhelmed by your generosity and grace that is extended to us every single second that we live. So, Lord, we ask that you would teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're just joining us, we've been uh, working through this precious gift of a book called Ecclesiastes, and there are several things that I think the, the, the preachers, what we've been calling the author here, is doing with the book of Ecclesiastes. I think one of them, and that we're going to kind of look at it a little bit more today, is I to think he's over and over in this book, trying to um, sort of deconstruct this idea or this illusion that you have control in your life. And I know most of us would agree with that statement, but as I've said before, we don't live like that. We probably, whether we realize or not, subtly believe that we can control certain aspects of our life. We can specifically control certain outcomes of our life. And the way that we kind of do that um, not only in, in life in general or people in general, I, I would you know, speak more into those who call themselves followers of Christ because I call myself a follower of Christ. And I, I have a temptation to, to kind of um, uh, lend toward this a little bit. And I think some of us in this room would say the same thing, is that we have a way of trying to control outcomes by believing that there's some formulaic way of living, that if I do blank, then I'm always gonna do this or I'm always gonna get this certain outcome. And some of us, whether you realize it or not, you may have came to faith in Christ because you thought that that's a way of kind of controlling some outcomes. I've gotta feel some sense of control in my life. So then therefore, I'm gonna embrace Christ as, as king and put my trust in him and know that if I live a certain way, then I can guarantee that I'll get certain kinds of outcomes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, I would say, before, for us is that it's the gift that God gives to us to kind of blow that up. Because living the Christian life is not a formula. Jesus said it really well in John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit kind of blows wherever it wants to blow. You cannot control him. You can't put God in a box and think if I do x, then I'm always going to get y. If I do a and b, then I'm always going to get See, if I practice with integrity all of my business relationships and interactions with people, then I'm always going to succeed. If I'm closed on Sunday as a business, then I'm always going to prosper. Not everyone can be like Chick-fil-A, right? (laughs) You can close on Sunday and your business can fail. So I think what... The preacher's trying to do here over and over, and just encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes, is is trying to say, look, that that kind of living just doesn't work. I'm trying to give you an honest understanding of this world outside of the Garden of Eden, this, this honest picture of what a broken world is without any spin. That you can be a young woman who follows after Jesus Christ lives their life for the glory of Jesus and still get hit by a drunk driver and die at the age of 35. That kind of scenario, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going like, what do you do with this, right? What do you do with this? So over and over, he's just trying to like, look, I'm trying to give you an honest view of what life is under the sun. Life in this broken world, life in this fallen world. And I'm trying to help you see it. You don't, you don't have any control. You can put some formulas together and say, man, if I do this and I'll get this, all right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it probably ain't going to work out like that. And when you get awakened to this reality, it leaves you with some choices of like, oh, then how am I going to live in this world, right? Like, what does that mean then, Lyle? What? What do we do? Well, you know, Sometimes you can read the book of Ecclesiastes and you go, know, What's the point, right? Why in the world am I here this morning? If this doesn't really matter, then go home, get wasted. Whatever you're saying, like, what's the point? Just embrace hedonism. All to like what, what? Yeah, that's one view. I mean, some people can take that, and if you want to do that, that's your choice. But there are massive consequences to that, also, right? And that's not the imitation of the preacher here. He's not just saying, hey go do whatever you want to, just give up, hands in the air, blow up the inner tube and float down the lazy river all you want. No, that's not the invitation. No, his honest appraisal of life is inviting all of us in this room to say, you know what? Live wisely. Live with wisdom. Now, yes, there are limits to wisdom. Do not think that that's the key to controlling, right? It's not. And he breaks that down, right? But at the end of the day, you saw this shift a little bit here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we'll see this all the way as we get to the end of this book here in the next few weeks, is at the end of the day, look, it is better to live in a broken, fallen world and a wise way than it is to be a fool. I mean, look, he hints at it here in verse 11. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those Who see the sun because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its own. As those who possess both money and wisdom are under the the protection of both is what he's trying to get after here. But the superiority of wisdom is that it has a way of guiding you and giving you direction during difficult, uncertain Times of pain and difficulty. Wisdom is way more superior than money what what it can give to you. It's like a kind of like headlights of a car during a morning that's really, really foggy. It gives you kind of direction to stay on the road. It's like, you know, carrying a flashlight or having a flashlight with you as the electricity goes out in your house or whatever. So you can walk around your house without stepping on your cat or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a way that God's wisdom comes and helps us live in this really broken, fallen world. I mean, Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 10, before he sends his disciples out into the world to be carriers of this message of Christ. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep into wolves. Like, translation, this is not a kind place to go live. And so this is what I want to do. I want to teach you some ninja skills, right? So you can be ready for the, the attacks, you know. Make sure you're carrying a piece. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? That's not what he says. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Be wise. Be wise as serpents. Paul says it several times. Colossians 4, verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use Of the time, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, or verse 15 through 17. Be careful attention then to how you walk, not as what? Unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil, so don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. This is just Lyle talking here. And I can only say this for the time that I'm living in right now. I'm not saying this is the case in other times because I didn't live in other times. But I personally believe that one of the greatest needs that our society and our culture needs right now is not a bunch of Christians who have a bunch of answers. But a bunch of Christians who understand their place grounded in the love of Christ and who walk wisely. That's... What our world needs. Not that there's not a place for answers. Please hear me. Not that there's not a place for truth. But we need followers of Jesus Christ. Including me. To stop acting and speaking like fools. And start living and acting with wisdom. I just got done reading through, it's probably one of the first biographies I've read through. I mean, usually I get bored with biographies, right? I don't know if some of you like love biographies. I get about halfway through and it's like, I'm kind of done. Like, you need to speed this thing up, you know? I tried to read through John Adams several years ago. I got halfway through. It's like, come on, man. Can you make it 200 pages, not 600? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys are amazing biography readers, all right? So, uh, I am not. But I just got done reading the one from, uh, that was done by Eugene Peterson here recently. Dude, absolutely Really, really good. Maybe more for me, just because I'm in pastoral vocation. may not be translatable to you and your world. But one of the things I really do appreciate about what I read, there's a ton in there that I'm reflecting on and learning in my own life. But one of the things that was just so refreshing for me is that here's a man, oh my goodness, um, tons of wise counsel, tons of wisdom to offer and one of the things that most people were frustrated with him is that he rarely gave advice. They would come to his office, lay out a problem, lay out an issue, please help me. And they would just sit in silence. Just look outside. And a lot of them left a little frustrated because they're just wanting, like, give me some Answer here. Let me know what's going on. Give me some advice. It's not that he didn't ever give advice, but what you see from this man is this man understood the complexities of a human being and even tried to understand the complexities of a situation to where he recognized that sometimes the wise thing to do is to be slow to speak and just sit and be still. And see how God can be present in the stillness. We need followers of Jesus Christ who will live wisely. And stop being fools. So this is what I want to do this morning. I I think in these 14 verses here, and you'll see this. I mean, this is all this is not like an exhaustive list here and Um, even as you read through the rest of the book, you'll see other snippets of this. It it does have a shift, right? You you kind of feel in chapter seven, and it feels more like a proverb, right? Like what you're used to in the book of Proverbs. And I think there are five, just I just want to briefly talk about five lessons that I think we need to hear, to embrace, to live out as followers of Jesus Christ so that we can be people who live wisely in a very broken, fallen world that needs the wisdom of God of Jesus and people embodying that wisdom. So I know five sounds like a lot. I promise I'll be fast, all right? It's like, I know your track record, Lyle. So i am dump in, d- dump in, dive in and jump out uh, quickly on these. So I'm gonna, here they are. Here's the five. We'll start with the first one here, obviously. The first one is this, found in verse one. And verse one through four, it's kind of like all of the same theme. Wisdom learns the lessons at a funeral, In fact, the preacher would say it like this. It's better to attend a funeral than a birthday party. Look what he says here, starting in verse 1. A good name, which is just speaking about someone's character, the weight, who they are. A good name, not, not your like actual name, right? A good name, what that name represents is better than fine perfume. And that is true. We would all agree with that. When someone hears your name, you don't want them to think about someone taking fingernails and going down a chalkboard, right? You want someone to think of some whatever essential oil you love. I don't know what (laughs) fragrance you love, whatever. You want want that to come about. But look what he says here in the second half of verse 1. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. What in the world is he talking about? Well, the reason why he says that is not because death is necessarily better than life, but because a coffin is a better preacher than a crib. Now, where do you get that? Look what he says here. It continues on. Verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind. And look, the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in a house of... Of pleasure. You know this, at, at the birth of a child or, or at a, a birthday party, those are, are festive events that are full of joy and laughter and celebration, and rightfully so. The writer here is not saying that's wrong or sinful in any way, stretch of the imagination, but when you go to a birthday party, I mean, unless you're being goofy and silly, you don't bring, you know, black balloons, right? You don't You don't dress them black. It's not a mourning. You don't sing the happy birthday song. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joe. Don't forget you're going to die, right? You don't don't bring that in there, right? I don't know if you grew up with the birthday song ending and I hope you'll do that till you're 104. You know what I'm talking about? It's like... That's kind of depressing. I don't want to be living until I'm 104. Do not wish that upon me. So look, but here's the point that he's trying to make. Not that there's anything wrong with these festive occasion, but there's something about a funeral that'll make you think about life that a birthday party will not. And he says there's two kinds of people that show up at a funeral. There's a fool. And look, just for clarity's sake, All of us are fools, right? Like, don't don't think that someone else, including me, apart from Jesus Christ and even those who are in Christ, foolishness still resides in our hearts. So don't think, oh, this is not talking about me when it says fool. Just just for the sake of this morning, every time it says fool, just put your name in there. Amen? That's a good... A little thing here, a fool is someone who'll go to a funeral and sit and think about so many other things of what they're going to do once they get outside of this funeral home instead of sitting and thinking about, that's going to be me. The wise person will sit and look at the coffin and realize, that will be me. And I don't even know when, but it will be me. I'll be laying in that coffin And it makes us evaluate, what are we giving our lives to? What will people say about me? What kind of character do I have? Proverbs 90, verse 12. And this is what the psalmist is trying to get after here. Teach us to number our days aright. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. The sooner we come to terms with our own death, the wiser our life has a chance to become. As Zach Eswan said in his book on Ecclesiastes, wisdom does not use sad things to avoid life. Sit with that. Wisdom does not use sad things to avoid life. Wisdom uses sad things to learn life. The day of your death is better than the day of your birth because a coffin is a way better preacher than a crib. Wisdom is learning the lessons at a funeral. Number two, wisdom listens, hears, rebuke. Look what he says here in verse 5. It's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. Now the way you can even say this, it's better for you to sit down with a wise friend, a wise friend, right? Not any friend, a wise friend, right? There are some friends that you had that are fools and you should not listen to their rebuke. It's like you be kind to them, but you don't need to listen to them. But there are wise friends that God has put in your life and it's better for you to sit down and listen to every fault that they want to bring to your awareness than it is for you to spend the day listening to your little Spotify playlist. That's what he's getting after. I mean, over and over, just read the book of Proverbs and pay attention. Do this over the course of this week. Pay attention to how many times the writer of Proverbs says over and over, listen to advice, listen to counsel, listen to critique. And over and over, if you're anything like me, you live like a fool. Because you have you have this tendency and bent in all of us to to not listen to when someone brings a rebuke, when someone brings a critique, when someone brings some counsel, because you have a tendency to kind of dismiss them away. Maybe they're too young. Maybe they're too old. Maybe they're too stiff. Maybe they're too legalistic. Whatever it is, if they are a friend, listen to them. Verse six, for like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And all he's just trying to say there is this, is that, yeah, you can join in with the laughter and the joy of foolish people, but they're like little thorns in a fire. They make kind of like some fun noises. Oh, well, cool. But there's no lasting value. The flame goes out really fast. And if you refuse to not listen to wise friends who come and give you rebuke, then listen to me, it's your loss. It is your loss. Because if we will listen to them, it has a way of bringing lasting value in our lives, maybe even possibly saving your life. That's why Proverbs 27, verse six says this, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy. The wounds of a friend, a hard word are trustworthy. But the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Wisdom listens, hears, rebuke. Number three, wisdom is is patient. What I mean by that, look what he's saying here in verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And So the idea of this word end is this idea of like being able to see a project through. Being able to see something to its end. So, so in essence, what he's saying here, the end of the matter, the you know, seeing something, finishing it out is way better than just starting. So, so all of us, man, it's way easier to start something, amen? Man, way easy to start a diet. Man, day one, I'm awesome. I'm amazing in a diet on day one. Oh, I'm doing great, right? Exercising, day one, amazing. Right, can we not say that? Do you not agree with me? Day 15? Uh not sure, right? One person said exercising and dieting is like a thousand restarts, is it not? I know there's bigger things that we're talking about here, but the idea that the writer is trying to say is like, look, it's way better to be a finisher than just a starter. That's why in the second half of this verse and into verse 9, look what he talks about. He talks about this idea of patience, a patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry for anger abides in the heart of fools. Anything you set out to do that's worthwhile doing, you will have adversity, you'll have difficulty, you'll have frustration Frustration now to hit you, you'll have hardship, you'll have people that'll doubt you, whatever it is. And so it takes patience. It takes a long fuse. Someone that's a fool quits early and has a hot temper. Wisdom is patience. It it finishes. It sees things through. Number four, wisdom is careful with nostalgia. And you see that in verse 10? Try to stop for a little bit. Nine o'clock kind of laughed at verse 10, but you guys are like, duh. But... Kind of funny because we all say that, right? Look what he said in verse 10. Don't say, why were the former days better than these since it's not wise for us to ask that? So we all say this often, the good old days or back in the day, we it was so much better. And if the preacher would hear us say this today and I put this on the screen there, I think he would say this. If you think you're living in a world where things are getting worse all the time, then cheer up. At least you will be dead before things get really really bad, right? Look, so it's not, it's not a problem for us to reminisce. It's not a problem, it's a problem for us to, you know, enjoy some of the elements of the past that might be better than the present. But the problem with this is the one little word, and that one little word is why. That's the problem with it. It's not wrong for us to reminisce a little bit and you know, I, I love nostalgia. I do enjoy that when I smell like the, the burning of wood. I think about my grandma's house and the joy of being at my grandma's house. I mean, oh, that's really, really good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is when we ask the why question, because when we ask the why question, we're making the assumption that God was at work more in the past than he is in the present. And that is not true. When we ask the why question, we're actually forgetting about God and unable to see the work that he is currently doing in the presence. Good old days is the lyrics of fools. As one author says, humility, and I would add in wisdom, recognizes this truth that we are not different in heart, Season and calamity than those who have gone before us. We do now only what they did then, only we express our scheming hearts in different forms. Hard-heartedness is like a baton in a race that each runner passes on to the next. At the end of the race, though each runner ran a different portion, they all carried the same baton. So it is. With each generation of human beings under the sun. Wisdom is careful, careful, cautious with nostalgia. Our longing for the past is never as good as our mind is telling us. Number five, wisdom receives both good and bad from God. And I want to nuance just a little bit because I recognize that that's hard to hear for some of us. Wisdom receives both good and bad. And I don't have time to um, answer all the questions that that may bring up when you hear that, Right? Because some of you are going through some really bad, tragic adversity in your life right now. And for you to hear that is, is hard, right? Sometimes it doesn't bring a lot of healing. It actually brings a lot more wounding. But what I want to offer to you and encourage you is that none of this even these things we're talking about here none of this is even possible for any of us in this room apart from a relationship with Christ because the deepest need that all of humanity needs is a is a new heart, new wants, new desires that comes through receiving this good news of the gospel of Jesus to where there's a there's now an open posture toward Christ and his word there's a there's a there's a want to live under the reign and rule of Jesus and where do we find out where that rule and reign of Jesus is it's in his word and and consistently not just in Ecclesiastes but all throughout the entire book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation we see this truth that all things whether good or bad come from God and so as one who is secure in their relationship with Jesus because my security is not built upon me not having hard questions for God, right? And my security is not built upon not being angry with that idea. I still want to have a heart that submits to it. And part of the having a heart that submits to it is to bring right, those hard questions to him. And be honest and say, this is hard to hear, God. This is really hard to hear. And I'm not asking you to sell it right now. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging this is really hard to hear. That this bad thing that's going on in my life right now, is from you. Look what the author says here. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. So bad theology and and a phrase that's nowhere in the Bible is that bad things come from the devil and good things come from God. That is false. That is a lie. Both bad and good, God has made them both and they come from Him. The Lord gives the birthday as well as sign, the day of mourning. So wisdom and response to what we see in verse 14 is that we recognize the moment and we respond appropriately. So in the days of prosperity, How are we to respond? What's wisdom inviting us to do? How are we to respond in days of prosperity? This is not a trick question. How are we to respond? Joyfully, without guilt, and without thinking that if I am too happy, that means something bad's getting ready to happen. So I've got to monitor my happiness so nothing bad comes around. No, no. When there's a day of prosperity, wisdom says enjoy celebrate, laugh. You don't have to pray about it. It's already right here. He's given you the answer. You don't have to wonder, am I supposed to do this or not? No, yes you are. In the day of prosperity, rejoice, be joyful, celebrate, laugh. The day of adversity, recognize the moment and what are we to do? Consider. Pay attention. Let the hard stuff sink in, don't run from it, don't numb yourself. Don't use God talk to pretend like it doesn't exist. Now, this is me, once again, you can come and rebuke me, I'll try to be wise and listen to that rebuke, unless you're foolish, right? <laughs> but. I think sometimes we can um, explain adversity away by using language like the devil is attacking me. So please hear me, hear me. I, I believe in the devil. I believe in demons. I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe we have an enemy that's against us whenever we're trying to advance the gospel of the kingdom of this good news, Yes we do but sometimes this is just me and my experience in my own life as my experience with other followers of Jesus Christ that when adversity comes sometimes we explain it away pretty quickly by saying the devil is attacking me instead of stopping reflecting considering and paying attention don't dismiss it and explain it away by using god talk maybe God's bringing this adversity, which we know he's bringing into you, to expose and help you see th- something that you cannot see unless adversity comes in your life. You following me? It's almost like the writer here is bookending it here. So there's certain things that you can't learn at a birthday party. You got to learn at a funeral home, right? You cannot. Brevity of life is not going to be seen at a birthday party. Brevity of life will be seen at a funeral. Same thing. There are things that you cannot learn in days of prosperity that you learn in days of adversity. And God, being a good father, has as at his aim to, to shape, to form you, to be more and more like Jesus, to live into how humanity is supposed to live. And sometimes that means there's hardship. There's difficulty. There's difficulty. And it does not mean that God doesn't love you. And it does not mean that God's punishing you for some past sin. We consider, we pay attention. In Job chapter 2, right after Job lost everything. In verse 9, his wife came to him and said this. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. In verse 10, I wouldn't say you should say this with your, to your wife often, right? It may not go well with you, but in this moment, tons of wisdom here. What he said, verse 10, he said this, look, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Why is that? Why is she speaking like a fool? Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Wisdom receives both good and bad, prosperity and adversity from the hand of God. So, the invitation for us today. It's not that we, um, we take all five of these things and we put them on a little sheet of paper and uh, we memorize them and we think about them for a day, right? That's starting well, <laughs> right? That's I'm not finishing well, amen, right? And you've heard me say this before and I totally agree with this and believe this, that any deep lasting work that God does in us, soul work, as we would call it, is slow, It takes time. So maybe the invitation for us this morning and for you is to take like one of these and spend the next several months, not days, months, saying, all right, I want to live as a wise individual in this broken, fallen world. And I think this is the one that I need to sit with more. Maybe you need to learn the lessons at a funeral. Maybe you need to ask the question, what will people say at your funeral? Maybe you need to spend time working on what David Brooks calls your eulogy virtues versus your resume virtues. Resume virtues are the ones you try and impress people with. Your eulogy virtues are the character and the person that you are. Maybe it's having an open posture toward rebuke of a wise friend. What in your life are you ignoring even though you have many friends who are showing it to you because it's so hard to hear? Maybe you need patience. Maybe you need to finish well. Where in your life are you tempted right now to give up, to push the eject button, to get out? Where do you need resilience? Where do you need perseverance? Maybe you're here and you need to be careful with the good old days, nostalgia. And you're able to see where God is at work right now in the present moment. Maybe you're here and you need to receive both good and bad from God. Where do you need to celebrate God's prosperity in your life, as I said, without any kind of guilt? And where do you need to maybe sit with, consider some adversity that God has sent in your life? My prayer for myself, for my boys, for our church, is that we would be followers of Jesus Christ who are rooted and grounded in the love of God, and that we would live wise in a world that needs it. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com slash JTown.